We've been in a series called Surprise. We're going to kind of change it up today, and uh, we're going to look at a couple other verses. We're going to look at two verses, so I want you to get your Bible uh, ready, please. And uh, please turn to the book of Exodus, and we're going to do some, some drawing today. And if you've ever seen any of my drawings, you'll know I'm not an artist, so don't worry. I'm not going to paint anything up here or draw anything spectacular. But I want to, uh, to go through and really just... Uh, from Old Testament through New Testament, and really look at what, what are we doing as a church and what is the church to be about? If we're not careful, we can be diverted into things that we really shouldn't get involved in. We can succumb to the temptation of putting a, t- a, a requirement on people that God himself does not put on them. That is human nature to set up laws and order and structure. We like things to be neat and tidy in boxes, including our theology and including all of our evangelism or our teaching or discipleship. And yet Jesus said to Nicodemus, the ones who are led by the Spirit, they're kind of like the wind. They, they kind of blow because the Holy Spirit blows and he flows and he, and he moves around and it's a mystery where he's come from and it's a mystery where he's going And that should in part represent part of our lives is that we are flowing with the Holy Spirit in our lives, not structured in a box. The temptation is to be in a box or to put people into a box because that's comfortable. If you're in the box and I know your box, then great. There's no surprises. And yet God says, I want to give you surprises. How many of you enjoy great surprises? Great. I enjoy great surprises. They're fun. They're life-changing. They get your heart pumping. And the Holy Spirit flows into our lives and in our lives. And that flow of the Holy Spirit is what makes the impact on people. People are not generally inclined toward the structure of do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts. They want to realize what, how, when, Where is God going to revolutionize my life? How many of you have experienced the revolution of God by being born again and you go, that is a revolution that everyone needs? Amen. So let's start uh, just with um, a timeline, if we'll kind of do this. And uh, here, right here is creation. And of course, that's when everything got started. How, How long ago was that? Great question. Not sure the Bible answers it specifically. We certainly get some hints in there. But then God decided to choose a a guy named Abe, Abraham. And Abraham, he said that from this guy, I'm going to make a special nation. I'm going to call it Israel. But from Abraham, there's going to be a particular nation. And I'm going to show all the inhabitants of the world how I deal with my people. So Abraham has one son, he has two, and then there's a whole litany of them after Jacob. And then um, the nation of Israel goes down into Egypt, into slavery, when they were in slavery for 430 years, and that's when they were obviously mistreated and abused and all of that. But at the same time, they began to flourish and grow. Over 430 years, a, a fair-sized group of people became quite a large group of people. Some estimate about 2 million, I'm not sure. And then uh, God says, okay, that's enough of that. And uh, he brought Moses along. And Moses was the one that God chose to to be the leader to bring Israel out of bondage, out of slavery. And so then 
we find that there is a time period here, and then God says, okay, now I'm going to give them the law, the way that I want them to live. There's going to be a lot of do's and don'ts. Now, God was doing this for a reason to let us know. If we look back here at creation and Adam and Eve, how many, how many laws did Adam and Eve have? And they didn't do so good with it, did they? Just one. He said, one thing, God said, don't do this. You can do all this stuff, don't eat from that one tree. And they were like, eh. You know, it's like a child. If you tell them what not to do, right? All the parents are going, yeah, that's right. So he had one, and God says, I just want to make it clear and very, very, very clear that you are not capable of keeping the law. So God gave him a whole list, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, go this far, go this far. And then people as we are, what did the people do? What did Israel do? They said, well, you know, this is not a long enough list. We're going to add. And the bottom line is, is that you get a very unhappy face because you can't keep the law. You guys might not be able to see that, and I know you want to see my wonderful drawing. So when, when we have that list, we recognize pretty quickly we can't fulfill it. Let's look here at Exodus chapter number 34. Exodus 34, this is what happened when Moses came down off of the mountain and he received the Ten Commandments, the law, Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Here we find that uh, Moses, in receiving the law, the very, the very thing that, that they weren't going to be able to fulfill, the very thing that was going to prove that, even in receiving the law from God, his face was radiant. There was a, there was a shining. Uh, that word radiance really talks about kind of a, a beams of light shining out. And, and just in receiving that law, there was a shine. There was a, there was a shining forth, a radiance on his face. And if you were to keep reading there, it talks about him having to literally veil his face. And then he would go back and pray and, and be with the Lord. And he would unveil his face. And then afterwards, he would veil it again. And that went on for we don't really know how long. But it was interesting that God said, just as a sign in giving the law, the, the person I'm giving that law to is going to shine. We're going to come back to that in a few moments. So then after this time, Israel, it's about 1,800 years, approximately 2,000. We'll just say 2,000 years. And Israel does this. They just kind of go up and down. Up. Okay, we're going to obey the law. No, we're not. No. And then punishment. Oh, oh, we're going to obey the law. And things are good and good. And then we forget. And then we go down. And it was just up and down, up and down all the time. 
You know, oh man, we're being persecuted, we're being abused, where other countries are coming over us and, and dominating us. We need to repent and get back to God. And so they would, they would start to do their best to worship and sacrifice to the Lord and be obedient to the law as best they, and God looked at their heart. And even though they weren't able to obey all the requirements of the law, God saw their heart and he says, okay, I'm gonna bless you. I'm going to bless you. And then after being blessed and they were prosperous and they began to have so much land and animals and agriculture and economy, everything was going great. They said, oh, well, you know, we're doing great now. We don't really need to pay attention to all that stuff. We're doing great. And they'd slide back. And many times, many times at this bottom point, when they were at the bottom, God rescued them supernaturally. Remember Gideon. God said to Gideon, hey, man, you're a mighty warrior. I need you, to, I need you to, to lead an army to set Israel free from the Midianites. He goes, okay, man, we're going to get all the people we can. God said, you got too many. Eliminate some. Not like eliminate them. He just meant send them home. <laughs> he dwindled that number down to 300 against a, an army of tens of thousands because God wanted to show them it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by my might and power. God wanted them to know that. So over and over again, he rescued them supernaturally. And then here comes the time of Jesus. I almost spelled that wrong. That would be really bad for... (laughs) Sorry. Phonetics. So... So Jesus then comes along, prophesied way back at the creation, at the fall of man, all of this time, there's prophecy, 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 and then here comes Jesus, and what does Jesus come to do? He said, I've not come to destroy the law, I've come to fulfill it. So Jesus kept the law. And he's the only one that has and the only one that could. He said, I've not come to to cross it out, I've come to fulfill it. But let's look for a moment at one of the disciples, Peter. What what did Peter want to do? Just before Jesus going to the cross to pay the price of all of our sin, what did Peter say to Jesus? Jesus was saying, listen, this is what's going to happen. They're going to sell me out and they're going to hand me over to the Romans and they're going to crucify me. And then three days later, I'm going to rise. Peter said what? He said, over my dead body. That's a paraphrase. He said, no, it's not happening that way. What was Peter doing? He was saying, okay, Jesus, you're awesome, and you're great, and that's wonderful and great, but but you're going to do it my way. You're going to do it my way. I'm going to add some things to your plan because your plan isn't complete. So I'm going to have to add some things. Here's the temptation that we have as Christians in the church age in which we live. We want to say, okay, fine, Jesus, yes, but in order to become a Christian or be a Christian, yes, you have to accept Christ as your Savior, and you have to go to church, and you have to read your Bible, and you have to pray, and and you have to give money, and you have to do things, and become involved in a life group, and and we just keep, and we just, it's it's all in the name of Jesus. (laughs) But what, what we do is we just try to bring the Old Testament law into the New Testament, and go, you, you got to do all these things. And the truth of the matter is, is that we don't have to do those things. We get to do those things. There's a big difference in that. Big difference. We get to do 
all the things that God has called us to do. Now, I, I've, I've, uh, I, I've never fulfilled the law. I, don't, I, don't, I can't do all that. I need grace all the time and forgiveness all the time, and I, I think I'm in pretty good company here. But in evangelizing and talking to people about Christ, we need to make sure that what we are doing, instead of creating a Christian list of the law, that we begin to do what Moses had. Moses had a radiance and a shining even when he was presenting this law. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill shines brightly. You don't light a candle and then put a basket over it. He said, you're the light of the world. There's something about that light and shining that God wants us to really participate with because that's what makes the difference. Is when we shine and we allow the radiance of Christ to shine out of us, not a matter of you have to do this, do this, do this, but how about what we just read the last couple of weeks in Acts chapter number three and four, uh, the transformation when Peter and John went up to the temple and they see a guy that's over 40 years old, he's never walked a day in his life, and what did they say to him? We want you to accept Jesus and then we want you to come to our life group and then you have to give some money and then, you, and then we'll pray for you. But they just said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we're going to give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. They didn't, they didn't try to say all of this. Um, some of you might have seen the movie Titanic. And, uh, you know, the closing uh, scene there in Titanic. Spoiler alert, the boat goes down. <laughs> and... Um, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio didn't make it. He, 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 he just, yeah, he didn't, he didn't make it. So, so his, the, his girlfriend, you know, the, so she's on an iceberg. And Leonardo DiCaprio is like trying to hang on, but he knows it's, it's useless. And, and she's distraught and she's upset. And the scene is there. She's on an iceberg, and a little floating ice, not an iceberg, but a piece of... She's on something. She wasn't ice. She was bored or something. I don't know. It's been a while. It's a door or something. You're not going to remember anything I say there, but you're going to remember that. She was on something. So there, then there's fog and everything, and there's people, and, there, and then there's boats and lifeboats and all that. And then what do you, what do you, there's a ringing bell or something, and this, okay, I didn't see the movie. Whistle. Thank you. We want to be accurate. Thank you. A whistle. And a guy is what? Yeah, is anybody out there? Is it, okay, so tell me what exactly he said, okay? Because I don't He said something like, is anybody out there? And he's, you know, and so then he's starting to go away. And then she finally says, yeah, yeah, I'm out here. I'm out here. You know, come get me. Wouldn't it be weird if he, if he, he rode the boat over to her and said, oh, you need to be rescued. Great. All right. Yes. Okay. Listen, uh, I'm going to bring you into the boat. But before you get in the boat, we got some rules. One blanket per person. Okay? And you can't rock the boat. Don't, don't do anything crazy. And, um, and listen, when you get on the boat, and then we, you, wouldn't it be crazy if he just gave her a list before she got? 
Our job is not to give people a list. Our job is to get them on the boat. That's our job. And we, we, we do that through the radiance of Christ working in our lives. It's not by our in, ingenuity. It's not by our talent and ability. Use your ingenuity, your talent, your ability, your knowledge. Use all of that to the glory of God. But God says, look, I just want to work through your radiance. I want you to shine brightly. When people see you, I actually want them to look through you to see me. To see his honor and his glory. And so we've, we've, we've got to be very careful. We're, we're not adding another list because what happens when you add a list is you get a frowny face. In fact, it's a double frowny face <laughs> because you've presented the answer to them and at the same time you've taken it away. You said, here's the answer, whoop, and you pull it right back. We just got to go, here's the answer. Here's the answer. So what... What is all this about? What is the church all about? It's to recognize that Jesus Christ is the salvation that everyone needs and everyone has, and there's no other salvation. What we read last week, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but at the name of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing added to that. Sure, the, the New Testament tells us how we're supposed to live, but that's what we get to do, not what we have to do in order to be saved. Okay, so you got that. Now, there's a, uh, a verse that I, I kind of want to start bringing this down to a close. If, if you turn, please, to uh, Acts, four, uh, Acts chapter number 4. We'll be back in, in Acts. And this is the, uh, the last part of chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Acts 4, 29. It says, Now, Lord, this is... This is um, after Peter and John, you know, they, God used them to heal the guy. And then there was a big problem. They were put in jail overnight. And then the, the religious leaders didn't know what to do. They're like, you know, we really want to beat these guys up. But all the people would be like really excited because this guy got healed. And how are we going to beat these guys up when this guy got healed? Because everybody's really excited about it. We'll lose face. What are we going to do? We're going to threaten them. We say, don't you talk in the name of Jesus again. Don't you do that. So Peter and John just basically said, well, you know, whether we should listen to you or God, you decide, but we're going to speak in the name of Jesus. Then they went back to the church, the people uh, who were followers of Christ, and they prayed. And this is the, the end of their prayer, verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's our privilege, to be able to say, God, perform signs and wonders. Do something great that people would know you're alive and well, and you are in charge. That, yes, they're under the weight of the devil, and you can lift that weight off through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our privilege. And so that's what we present to people. And so we shouldn't be afraid to be like Peter and John and be able to pray for people who don't go to church, don't care, whatever, but pray for them and expect them to receive Christ, to, re to receive a miracle. To our knowledge, this guy that was healed in, in, in Acts, 
that was begging at the gate, they didn't say, you got to come to church, you got to walk down the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, you got to be dunked in water, you gotta, and then we're going to pray for you to be healed. No, they just said, let's get the healing done first. If I were God, I'd do it, back, I'd do it the other way. That's why God didn't make me God. <laughs> because I'd be wrong. So let's, let's take on that opportunity and that privilege. One more verse, and then... Um, We'll bring this to a close, and that is in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's who we get to be, is those who God has poured out his love into our hearts, and he's given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And so everywhere we go, whether it's in our family, our neighborhood, or where we work, or where we go to school, wherever it is, we get the opportunity to shine brightly to those around us. And they see the difference of who we are because of Christ. Not because we're smart or talented or anything, though we may be all those things, but that's not what shines. What shines is Christ. And that's our privilege. It's not, it's not a matter of saying, oh, you've got to jump through hoops, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. It's a matter of shining brightly. One of the verses that we love in our 20s, if, if, if you were in church and all in your, in your 20s, you love the verse, what Jesus said about wine and wineskins. Remember that? Uh, he said, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. In other words, um, an old wineskins already had its day and its moment and all. And, and so you pour new wine into new wineskins. It has room for growth and expansion and all that. You can study that. But we love that verse when we're young because we're like, yeah, see all those old people that are 50? They, uh... God's already used them. Now he's pouring new wine into us young people. We love that verse in our 20s. And then when we get to 50, we're like, I don't like that verse anymore. And what we try and do is pour old wine into new wineskins. We, we, we want the young guys to do it our way, the way we're comfortable with, the box that we were in, you know, that list, the methodology. And yet God comes along and says, you know what? There's a new generation worshiping the same God. We've got to get that. It's a new generation worshiping the same God. I remember in church being raised on hymns. That's what we sang in church hymns. Out of the book. Turn to this page, turn to that page, turn to this page, and we, read, we sang hymns. That's what we sang. We love church camp. We love youth camp because we got to sing songs that weren't in a book. And then all of a sudden when I was 17, I went to a church that sang on Sunday morning songs not in a book. It's like this, like youth camp every Sunday. And that was cool. And God was pouring new wine into new wineskins. You know, God is still doing that today. He still pours new wine into new wineskins. And that's where we've got to say, you know what? Our job as the body of Christ is to know what is that new wine that God's doing. In other words, it, it's talking about the power. Wine is powerful. He's talking about that power that God is working in people's lives. 
He's the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he is unafraid to pour out new wine, new power to a new generation who receives it a different way. But the wine does the same job. The power of God does the same job that it always has. He said, I'm going to fill you with light so that your light shines out brightly to the people around you so that they'll be born again, healed, set free from the bondage of the devil. And I think Hope Crossings is poised and ready. And many other churches in this area, I believe we're poised and ready to see God work in people's lives simply because they're available. You know that new, old wineskin, new wineskin has nothing to do with age. It has, uh, it, it has to do with, with flexibility and adjustment. The old wineskin is hard, rigid, hard. God never wants us to become rigid and hard like it's got to be this way, like it was when I was 19. That's what it's got to be. That's the way God moves. You're going to say, no, there's a, there's a new day, a new generation. And God's pouring new wine into new wineskins. I want to be 100 years old and be a new wineskin. I want to be 100. Well, I don't, I'm not so sure I want to be 100, but I want to be old. And I want to be able to say, God, just do something new in my life. I want, I want to be in with those 20-year-olds and going, yeah, go for it. Might with a cane, but I'll be saying, yeah, go for it. It's awesome. Go for it. And I think Hope Crossings is poised and ready to have that. Just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's brand new and fresh, that's not stale and old. God is not stale and old. We get stale and old. But God is not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many of you want that new outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life, doesn't matter what age you are? To say, that's what I want. I want that new outpouring of the Holy Spirit into my life. Well, the, the best outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life is the day when you transition what the Bible calls being born again. Or being saved, becoming a Christian. There's a lot of terminologies there, but it's really about being born again. That's the terminology Jesus used. And what that really is, is a matter of saying, God, I'm, I've, I've been doing my own thing. I've been trying to follow that list of do's and don'ts and haven't been doing such a good job of it as none of us have. None of us have. And, and God said, I gave you the list to show you you couldn't do it so that you would seek a Savior. And that Savior is Christ. Have you accepted the Savior that God has provided? There's a lot of Saviors that man provides, but all of them fall short. But there's one Savior that God provided, and that's Jesus. Have you accepted that Savior? Well, let's do it today. What is God saying to your heart? Is that, does that make sense to you? Is that, that pulling on your heart right now to say, yeah, you're right. I, I, can't, I can't fulfill the list. I need a Savior. And I'm here to submit to you that that Savior is Christ. Will you accept Him? Will you accept His forgiveness into your life? And then the power that He gives. And there's not going to be a, a big list of, oh, now you have to do this and have to do it. You don't have to do anything. You get to do some things, but you don't have to. It's a matter of right now today saying, God, I need Christ. I need a Savior, and I believe that's Christ.